Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. I want to give a shout out to my uh, wonderful sponsor, uh, Blowfish for Hangovers. Now, you know what? I'm telling you, football season's going on. The playoffs are going on. And you know my Eagles aren't in the playoffs, but I'm watching. And that's when you need the Blowfish for the Hangovers because you're watching your team and either they're winning or they're losing, but you're cheering them on, and if you're at a bar, you're drinking, and so the next day you wake up, you have to go to work, and you feel like crap. So that's where Blowfish comes in. It's real medicine. It's recognized by the FDA as effective, and it comes with a money-back guarantee. That's right. You can get your money back if it doesn't work. You wake up, you put two tablets in, you drink it down, and you feel great. So here's what you do. You go to their website, 4hangovers.com. That's F-O-R, hangovers.com. And as you check out, put in the code COOPER, and you get 20% off your order. So go do that. And uh, i got to ask a football question to my guest today, a very, very funny comedian. My guest is Sarah Colonna. How you doing, Sarah? Hi, good. How are you? Good. Now, what is your house? If, if people, if you don't know, Sarah's uh, married to Seattle Seahawks punter John Ryan. What is your house like on the day of the playoffs, or do you just decide to go on the road when the playoffs are going on? <laughs> um, well, it's funny because we live, you know, I live, I'm in L.A. right now, and um, he's in Seattle because they're, you know, practicing and everything. So um, I go up there, though usually every home game and then I go on the road sometimes I actually perform in cities they're playing in and I end up getting to go to games that way um, but it's definitely interesting even just the day of a regular game it's, uh, there's just uh, his demeanor changes into this sort of a, like much quieter person he just gets a little uh, you know I think everyone gets their nerves you know handles them a different way so he just gets a little quiet and so I just know to Sort of let him do his thing and don't make him walk around too much because he needs the leg the next day. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it works out pretty well. But um, yeah, there, I'm going actually going up there tomorrow night um, and then going to leave Friday from there to go to Atlanta for the playoff game. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, do me one favor. Pass a word on to him that when they meet, if, it, if the Cowboys win and they meet the Cowboys, just please tell his team to kick the Cowboys' ass. I'm an Eagles fan. I hate the Cowboys. Just pass that word on. I'm with you. I, I wanted. I would love for them to, uh, if they meet the Cowboys, they definitely want them to beat them too. So I will pass that along. Okay. So now, now okay, I got to ask you, you know, you've been doing comedy, you know, you've been on Chelsea lately and stuff like that. Now, I was reading, now, you you were born in Germany and then and you grew up in Alaska? No, well, I grew up in Arkansas. Arkansas, okay, they put Alaska. Um, yeah. But it starts in A, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I was born in Germany. I was there so briefly that I, I don't even recall it. I was there like a year and a half. My dad was in the um, Air Force. And so I was born on the Air Force base there. And then um, when he was done there, we jumped around a couple different states and then landed in Arkansas where my mom's family uh, lived. Um, when my parents got a divorce, she, she and my sister and I moved there so she could have, like, help with, you know, her two younger kids. So she went back to where she, her parents lived, basically. I'm um, not, we didn't move in with her parents, but right. uh, we, so I ended up staying in Arkansas until I finished college. Now, when and I moved out to California, when did comedy pop into your life? Did you perform as a, as a kid? Were you like a, were you in drama in, in high school or did you do plays as kids or were you a funny kid or were you a quiet kid? How did this whole career start? Because a lot of comics are, you know, were quiet 
and you hear some that are the class clown, but they're usually the ones that were sort of hacks. You, you, most are quiet. Like, how were you as a kid? And did you know you wanted to do comedy or did something turn you to it? No, you know, it's funny. I always just knew I wanted to do, like, I wanted to do TV. I wanted to do comedy. But I wasn't one of those. I definitely wasn't like the class clown or anything like that. So I think my family all along was like, okay, sure, whatever. Like, they don't. I don't think they really thought I was serious about it. And then... Um, when I got into college, I majored in theater, and my mom was like, oh, this is what you want to do, huh? But we didn't have any stand-up clubs there, so I couldn't really do it. Where in, in Fayetteville, where I was, we didn't have, there weren't, you know, I think there's probably now at least coffee shops that have stand-up around town, because college towns seem to have that everywhere now, but we didn't have anything. Um, so I just, I didn't even get to do stand-up until I moved to LA. And so I actually started here, which is a weird place to start comedy for sure. But um, that's where I started. <laughs> so so when you graduated college, you, you got your you you were an acting major. Now, how long did it take you to gravitate to LA? And had you visited LA before you actually moved out here? Yeah, my dad um, had lived in Orange County for a good uh, portion of my life. And he, he still he lives in Palm Desert now. But so I would come out every summer and visit him. And I liked California a lot. I mean, it's obviously a different experience than when you visit your dad as a kid to coming out and, and moving to your, a place on your own. Um, but I just don't, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I, maybe ignorance is bliss, but I was like, that's what I'm doing, and that's my plan. So two months after I finished college, I moved here. Took all my crap, even though I didn't need any of it, because it was just college crap. And came out here and sort of, uh, you know, stumbled my way around until I figured it out. I, I, I started doing, you know, uh, just this, the normal stuff you do, coffee shops and meeting other comedians. And I was working at a restaurant. And luckily, that's where you meet a lot of other people that are trying to do the same stuff you're trying to do. Um, so you kind of find your footing that way um, when you have no clue what you're doing. When you, which is where I was. Yeah, that's a lot of times it happens like that. Like for me, when I did stand up, I mean, I remember my mom. I got out of college. My mom saw a, a class in a learning annex in Philadelphia, and I never knew. I didn't know anything about comedy. I didn't know there was a clubs in Philly. But it, it, I, it, I went there, and you know, and I think you probably think the same way. You know, you can't really be taught to be funny. You, you can be taught to know where to go and how to put stuff together. But you're right when you start in comedy. And if you're coming from somewhere like when you came from Arkansas where there's no scene, you don't know what's going on. You don't, I mean, what made you decide though when you came out here to do stand-up? Did someone tell you you got to do stand-up or what What made you gravitate towards the stage? Um, I just always wanted to do it. And I, so I don't, you know, there was a, there was a comedian in my family named Jerry Colonna who right. used to travel with Bob Hope and, um, Maybe it somehow came from an interest in his career. I don't know. He wasn't really a stand-up more as he was a comedic actor. Um, but, you know, I, I don't even know, honestly, where it came from because I, I certainly wasn't surrounded in high school by other people that wanted to do anything like that. <laughs> and, you know, I was in a small town in, called Farmington in Arkansas. So it was just my, I don't know, it was just this thing that I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, and, and writing all of it. I just had it in my head that that's how I was going to turn out uh, working. And luckily, you know, it takes a long time, <laughs> that's for sure, um, uh, to get there. You know, you just you wait tables for a long time. You bartend for a long time. You get a couple little gigs on the road. And, you, I mean, you know how it is. 
what uh, where was your first, what was your first time on stage? And now I always when I talk to people, there's different stories. A lot of times, the first time on stage, people do really well, and then the second time they bomb, and then the third time is usually a few weeks after that because they shit themselves after they bomb and they go, oh, this isn't for me. What was uh, where was your first time on stage? Do you remember? And how did you do? And were you nervous? And did you do the typical practice in front of the mirror, or what happened? Um, yeah, I was terrified, but I did it at this the annex at the Ice House because they used to do, you know, a quote-unquote bringer show there, and this guy I knew at the time um, ran it, and he uh, let me go up if I brought, you know, a certain amount of people, and of course, like, my dad came, and my stepmom, and people that were around the area, and my friends that I finally made out here, and so um, it went really well. I mean, I'm sure it went really well, partly because a lot of the people were my friends in the audience. And partly because I just didn't know what I was doing, but um, in the sense of I was just like, this is fun, you know, this is, oh, I got, like, this is so much, I was terrified, but I was having fun doing it. So um, it went well. I don't, I'm thankful it went well, because I'm not sure if I ever would have done it again if it just didn't go well. I think I might have been like, oh, that's not for me. <laughs> um, now, not to say since then, obviously, that did happen a couple, yeah, I had my certain my terrible moments on stage um you know not not too long after that and for for a while um as we all do especially when you're performing in um cafes and <laughs> you're not even so maybe it was because it was at a club where people were actually watching comedy instead of um even though it was all you know novices but maybe it was because it was that instead of just a like a backroom cafe where nobody expected comedy to be happening. And I mean, I remember doing that a few times where like you get up and people are like, wait, what's going on? There's comedy right. here. I came here for comedy. Like, why is that happening? Yeah. It's like, or, or wait, we're turning the music off. Wait a second. What, what is this? Crap? Yeah. Is this oh, it's the worst. Um, so how long were you doing it after the first time till you actually felt like you were starting to get in your groove and that actually feeling that, okay, you know what, I, I'm starting to feel at home and I think I can pursue this. How long did it take you to really f start feeling like you were performing and growing? You know, I don't know because it. I, I, I don't, my timelines are bad on that because I went through different phases of, of feeling like, and then, and then it was, you know, like a couple steps forward and three steps back for sure, mainly because I think we're really hard to, Thing, and for anyone that's starting out is 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 trying to get on stage for a, a more amount of time than than what you've been given and um you know in the beginning you're given five minutes here and five minutes there and that's it and um so it's really hard to get past that five minutes because you're finally like okay i'm comfortable I, you know i think people don't even realize how long it takes just to get a good five minutes down <laughs> um that will do well in front of people all the time, you know, meaning when you're first starting, you're like, you know, you're trying to get this, like, a good thing so that when you do finally get up in front of someone, you're not just, you know, oh, I thought of this today, let me try this, you know, you get that, you get that um, time later in life when you, when you've performed for a while and you're on stage for longer and you have the, the time to, to play around and to know how to grab them from the beginning and then have, you know, but when you, when you start out, you don't have, that time you're just given five minutes each time you get on stage or sometimes three minutes or whatever it is so it's so hard to build more than that it's so hard to build up to 15 minutes so that you can showcase or you know any of that stuff so I, I felt like I was getting somewhere and then I felt like well I don't have 
I want to go past this and try to get more time. And yeah, of course, you you know do a few different things each time and then try to mesh them together in your head. But it's like you never really get to stand up there for that full 15 minutes and do it for a while. It takes a while. Um, you know, so now it's obviously a, a different story. But in the, in the beginning, I think that's part of what makes it so difficult. You just kind of feel like, how can I get to the next level where I get to do the time that I've felt like I'm building up, yeah, you know, I, in more than a... And I think that must have been hard also for you for being in the L.A. area. Because, you know, when I did it in Philadelphia, you know, basically you would... There were so many clubs when I was doing it that they would give you a 10-minute set or they would bring in people who were MCs and we could do 15 minutes and, you know, it grew. But out here, it must have been really tough because everyone, even the big names who are stopping by, you know, the improv and the comedy store are doing 10 to 15. So, I mean, as a young comic, it must have been very frustrating. Totally. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and it's so interesting now when I see people come out, like, you know, from... from um, Philly and, and all those places, uh, Chicago, places where there's a lot of comedy and people that feature for me now ask me about doing stand-up out here. And I'm like, just know that you're not going to get to go do this time as often. You know, you're not going to get to do 30 minutes in front of a headliner. There's going to be three comics doing 10 minutes in front of the headliner or there's going to be no headliner. It's just going to be everyone doing 10 minutes, you know. It's such a it's just such a different sort of, uh, maybe it's the attention span of people in LA or something, but it just, it just works differently out here, you know? So, so you're, you're, you're going along, you're, you know, you're trying to build your act. When did you start getting to do those longer sets and branching out on the road? And how did that happen? Was it, did some, did you work with someone who said, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, mentor you a little bit, or how did you start making that step to getting that kind of stuff? yeah, I was. I did um, like a showcase uh, finally at the. I think it was at the Improv for this woman who worked at Fox, and then she really liked it. And, it, and then it, it, they put me in this um, like Comedy Central sort of competition thing that ended up getting me to do um, Premium Blend, which was their show back. It's not even on anymore. I'm aging myself talking about it, but um, that was a stand-up show that like showcased comics a few minutes at a time and. Um, you know, so I got sort of in that thing by having basically someone who, who saw me and, and, and thought, oh, I should be doing more of this. And she was time to, like, meet with, and this was, you know, also a time when it was a little bit more commonplace for someone to see a comic in a, in a club and be like, oh, I think we could build something around that person if they're a little more seasoned and they get more stuff. So she helped out certainly in some ways, and then she was also... Uh, very close with working with Doug Stanhope and so I got to do a few sets in front of him when he was doing more time and then that would give me more time um, so that was sort of how that finally started getting to where I could do it more and then I got my name in at the improv that way so then I would get to do more sets with them and you know sort of build from there so you're doing that now. Did you start going on the road at all, or were you just pretty much just? I mean, what was your what was your course of action? What did you want to do? Did you want to go on the road as a stand up, as per se a feature, or did you want to sit there and hang out and work your ass off until you could possibly try to get to the headlining spot? Well, I did a little bit of um, of feature work here and there for people that I would meet at clubs, or they would, you know, um, and it would usually be at cities that I didn't even know existed, you know. Um, I never really got to do this thing of, like, featuring at the bigger clubs. Um, but 
it ended up working out okay because I would I built, still built my time doing it at these places where it was fine actually that it was like these smaller cities because then it was like trial and error and I would get to build more time without you know bombing in the middle of Los Angeles where everyone <laughs> everyone would see it so um, yeah so I kind of did that and I but I also with the fact that I wanted to write and act professionally along with it I didn't want to. And I also didn't even know how to do it to just get myself like on the road with clubs. I didn't have someone, you know, trying to get me feature work. Um, they were trying to get me more like around town stuff. So it was a little bit of, of me sort of trying to tie it all together, I guess. And then, um, but luckily, you know, through all that time of doing it, even if you do go on the road, just to, uh, less times, you know, I'm on the road all the time now, just headlining. But at least the times I got to go then and also all the showcasing I did around town and stuff, you get to build up enough time to finally be, you know, ready when someone gives you the shot to headline. Now, now you said when you, you, you're still trying to do some acting stuff and writing stuff, what were you going out for auditions during the time when you were um, breaking into stand-up and getting, to, you know, more stage time? Were you getting auditions and were you booking any acting gigs at that time? Um, I was getting, like, first I got a commercial, and then I got a couple small things, like a couple lines here on Monk, I think it was, and a, a couple lines on this show called Strong Medicine that hasn't been on for years either. And then I ended up starting to work a little regularly with this show, a hidden camera show called Scare Tactics, and that was because someone had seen me out at a comedy club and thought I would be good um, on my feet sort of acting and 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 being, I mean, they wanted you to be funny, but it was also supposed to scare people, but it was, it was a ridiculous show. It was so much fun. And so they started hiring me regularly, but I was still bartending, and luckily my boss at the, my bartending job was um, super supportive of, of what I was doing. So when they would call me, like, and give me two days' notice, he would let me get my shift covered, and then I'd go shoot this TV show in Vegas, you know, for whatever the minimum was at the time. It's not like you were making a ton of money off of it, but... A lot of people watched it, and it kind of got me, um, you know, at least a little something under my belt that even if it was a hidden camera show, but at least got you something to say that you were working a little more regularly. I got to ask you about that show, because I saw it a few times, and, uh, and did you ever just sit there and think, like, can first, like, look at the person and go, how are you believing this? Or two. Oh, a hundred times. I mean, just yeah. sit there and go. Are you? There's not a. There's no bigfoot. Like I saw one time where like some monster started attacking and the people were freaking out. I mean, did you ever sit there? And then how would you hold this? I mean, I know it's acting, but sometimes you just gotta think. Oh my god, this person is so stupid. How do you not just? How did you just not lose it? And did you ever lose it at all during one of these things? Yeah, I mean, there was one time, so it, definitely there were times where they give me, because they didn't really give you a script, because there's the actors, and then there's the one person you're setting up, and that person, you have no idea what they're going to say. So you got to maybe get a few things in there for sure, but you can't really have a script, because you're just improvising off this complete stranger who doesn't even know they're on a TV show. So it would get, a, like, when they would hand me the outline to the episode, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, do you think anyone's going to believe that a little little person just came out of me and it's the <laughs> devil? Like, I did one episode that was that, and it ended up on, you know, those, like, great greatest pranks of all time shows or whatever, because it was so ridiculous. And what I figured out they did so well was they, you, if you put someone in enough of a scenario where they're scared, 
then they'll almost believe anything just because they're already jumping, you know? And so it would be, you know, the person that set them up would be like, oh, you're going to, you know, the friend that set them up would, would say like, oh, this, you know, if you need money, this person's going to call you today and you can go fill in for me at this clinic working the desk or whatever. And then you drive out, drive them out to this abandoned clinic in the middle of Vegas that's like scary, Henderson, Nevada, that's like already a little scary and there's like weird people walking around and then in I come, you know, pretending to be in labor and it was just, it was like the most, you could, I think if you put someone in the most, a situation where they're like, well, my friend sent me here, I think I'm just doing it. It was always like based on, they thought they were doing some sort of temp job. And, um, you know, one time I was, someone thought she was coming to do a little, basically take care of me because I was bedridden. But when my husband, quote unquote husband, you know, who was an actor, left the house, I revealed to this girl that he chained me to the bed and I'm a kidnap victim. And, you know, this girl almost, I mean, she almost, she like was so scared. She was almost taking off running. I had to, and then I had to get myself unchained from the bed to try to stop her just so she didn't knew that she was on TV and didn't like run to the police. There was just so many crazy stories. It was really, but it was, it was hard sometimes to keep a straight face, but then at the same time. A couple times I felt kind of bad. I was like, oh, this person is genuinely scared. <laughs> and then, you know, and then at the end, when they come out and their friend comes out, you know, and they know they're on a TV show, they were always so happy that then you're like, okay, I guess I don't feel bad. They have fun. But for a brief minute, sometimes you'd be like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> so come here. You know, um, so there were a couple times like that for sure. It was It was a pretty crazy show, but they... Yeah, they did a good job of just freaking you out enough, I think, with the whole scenario that you would just believe what was happening. Or even if you didn't quite believe what was happening, you just knew something weird was happening and you wanted out of there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, at times I saw it, I was just like, it, and it, it is, I mean, I love stuff like that. If you don't like a hidden camera show, I mean, everyone likes them. I don't care what people say, you know. I just now, in, in this day and time, when there's so many, I just, I don't know how people still fall for something that's like if I'm, if I'm at a supermarket and someone guy walks in and takes his pants off and starts dancing I'm thinking and then you know I'm thinking I'm on a show I mean that's that's the only yeah. thing that happens so okay so you do the scare tactics you're getting you're getting your stand up you know you're getting it down you're getting more work now then is that when Chelsea came along and how did you end up getting on that show and did you think when you started doing that show that it would be a career changer because you know Chelsea wasn't really known known and E wasn't really watched watched a lot how did that whole process right. how did that whole process happen well it was interesting because I'd known Chelsea she and I basically started doing stand up at the same time so she was one of the people I was going to these like small cafes and um and doing these bringer shows with and so we started we had met in an improv class and both of us had discussed how we didn't really want to do improv, we wanted to do stand-up, and then we, I think we, our first time on stage was was within just a few months of each other. I know she went up first and at the Laugh Factory at that long, there's this, you know, the long open mic Laugh Factory thing, and then I, a few months later, I, I did my first time, and so she was one of the first people I met, and when her show got on, we, I mean, we were still friends, but she wasn't, you know, like you said, Chelsea wasn't Chelsea, and, and he wasn't as watched, so she wasn't at liberty to just be like, hey, put my friend on, for sure, because the show needed to, to gain a lot of momentum first, but what she did do was let, made, you know, made sure that they were hiring comics, and 
um, and trying to get more comics on. At the beginning, it wasn't even three comedians. It was like a comedian and like a news person and, and then like a Scott Bayo, you know? Right. <laughs> so it wasn't even three comedians at the beginning and then they finally realized, oh, the comedians work better. So I, I think what she really did was, you know, she would just push um, the, the bookers to Michael Cox being the person to go out to clubs and, and, and look at comedians and, and, and she'd tell them, you know, who, who she knew and if they could check them out and stuff and then hopefully put them on. So it was about a year after the show was on before I was actually on the panel and I was really excited because obviously I, you know, it was my friend and I, and then I was more nervous because I thought, oh, this is my friend and like, I don't want to tank on her show because A, if I do, there's nothing she can do for me to get me back on and B, it's my friend and also really bad that she probably gave them my name to look at, you know? So, or no, I'm not probably, I mean, she definitely did. So I was really nervous and, um, and I also knew that people were starting to become regulars on it, um, you know, more and more. And so when I went on, luckily it you know, went really well. And then they started having me back pretty frequently. It was about once, once every couple of months, I think in the beginning. And then they started having people more frequently once they realized sort of a regular panel with people helped a familiarity thing with the show. And then, after a few months of that, um, they approached me about writing because they just thought I knew her pretty well, so I had her tone down and then had my own thing so I could do that on panel and still also help write for her, So, which was great and terrifying because it's not something that I had expected. I didn't even, you know, in, in that it's going to sound completely insane to say this, but I was like, I don't even know if I really want to full-time writing job, I want to do stand-up, and I want to do, you know, and then I was like, what am I talking about? Of course, I want a full-time writing right. job on a show where there's comedians, but you panic at first, you're not sure what it all means, you know, um, especially when you're, in fact, it's funny, when they finally hired me full-time, I was still bartending, and I told, I have like a shift of a week or something like that, because I was so afraid to let go of it, even though I was working a lot more, and um, and people were starting to be like, oh, haven't I seen you on that show on E? Because people were starting to watch it a lot more. But I still was like, I'm not letting go. I just knew my security blanket was like having this job where I made my cash and I knew that I made it every weekend, you know? And when I finally got hired full time on Chelsea, I remember saying to my boss, so I could probably, you know, it's Monday through Friday, so I could come in on Saturday night still and keep that shift. And he was like, Sarah. <laughs> he was like, that's... <laughs> that's not a thing that's going to happen. Like, you're, go, get out, please. I wouldn't even let you do that. Like, that's not how it works. You've gotten your your first full-time job as a writer. Go do that. You're not coming here on the weekend. Get out of here. I, I don't care. If it yeah. doesn't work out, you can come back. But please, I don't want to sit there and have to explain to my uh, my uh guests in the bar oh oh yeah yeah no 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 oh yeah she's uh she's a writer yeah i don't i don't want to i don't have to deal with that because they'd be like what is wrong with you why are you, are you making her stay here are you blackmailing her what is wrong with you yeah he was just a get out and um you know and i swear to god if he hadn't said that i would have kept my saturday night shift for god knows how long until i finally figured out that i could let go of it um but it certainly turned out to be uh, <laughs> a very good thing obviously and it definitely is something that um, you know, gave me the ability to get myself the representation to be on the road and, and to headline and actually have people to come and see me. And, and, you know, and that was, I was opening for her at times when she was doing much bigger shows. After that, she had all the writers. Um, she rotated us opening for her, which was awesome because then 
suddenly we, we got to feel what it was like to have real, you know, much bigger crowds and stuff. So it was um, really the best of all worlds because you're writing and you're on camera and you're writing your own jokes and you're writing her jokes. So, or, you know, jokes for her or sketches or whatever we would be doing. But it was cool to um, get to do something behind the scenes but that you also kept doing your own voice and your own stand-up, you know, kind of building now, on camera. Now, when, when you did the roundtable... Did you or did you guys know the topic earlier in the day and then write your bits or did you just wing it? How did that work? Well, when, it, when you were on, when you were just on the roundtable, um, you get a phone. You get the topics like probably like three hours before the show aired, and then um, because we were you know the writers were writing them up that morning, so you would get them like three hours before the show aired or maybe sometimes two hours, and. It would just give. It would just tell you like a quick synopsis and like a link to the news story that we were talking about or whatever. And um and so you had a little time when you got there, you know, but on your way there to think of stuff. And then when you got there and you're in the makeup chair or whatever, a producer would come in and talk to you about it and say, you know, do you have anything you want to try on me for this or whatever? So you would have like a loose couple of jokes in your head, but because. You, you weren't doing that with the other comedians. You didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know what Chelsea was going to do. So, and even when I started writing there, I still didn't know what Chelsea was going to do because sometimes she would do jokes we gave her and sometimes she would fly completely off the cuff, you know? So no matter what, you had to have something sort of in your back pocket just in case uh, things went quiet or someone drew a blank. But you really couldn't stick to something you had written because... If it starts to take another turn and you just try to cram your joke in there, it's so obvious, you know. Now, did you did you find it uh, a little? Uh, I can't think of the word. Not juggling, a little uh, challenging to be juggling writing for yourself, then also writing for Chelsea because you're going back and forth with two different voices, and you're sitting there. You know, you have to. I mean, when you write a joke for something, you have to think of their, you know, of their voice, but then you also have to think you're going to be on the panel and you have to be that part. Did you find that hard in the beginning or did you find it easy and then did you adapt to it if you found it hard? No, it was definitely a little hard, especially because there were times when it would be a great joke no matter what and, and probably anyone could say it and get away with it. And so if you came up with something that you were like, oh, this is so good, and it was a day that I was on, I'd be like, oh, like that struggle of do I give this to Chelsea or do I keep it for myself? But you have to, you have to, your first job is, is writing for her that's why you're there so um it would be more of like after i would do it i'd be like oh god i wish i i could have had that one for myself or something like that but you just you know you just had to go look i'm i'm writing for someone else that's my full-time job and the round table's a bonus so um you know but then it, there's also definitely times that you could if you put down something that because she would let you know what she had selected ahead of time um for her cue cards, and there'd be times if you put in something and she didn't pick it, then you could keep it for yourself um, or, or, or whatever. But there was definitely a little bit of a juggle, but luckily, like you're saying, it's two different voices. So for the most part, it was usually like, oh, this is something Chelsea would say, so that's for her, you know? Um, or sometimes we would write every once in a while, once we really got to know everybody, sometimes we would be like, hey, this might be a good one for you know, Joe Coy or for whoever. I mean, that didn't happen all the time and you didn't want to offend anyone by being like, we have jokes for you. Right. But if it was something, you know, gold, then, then you would always pass it on to them. 
Now you said as you were doing this, you started to get to start headlining clubs. And now when you started headlining the clubs, it was when people came to see you, did they expect to see you talk about like stuff you did in a round table? Did they expect your act? Or what did they expect from you? Because they see you for just a few minutes, but then you have the name and the face recognition. So they're coming to see you because Chelsea's show was a big hit. What was that like headlining? And when you went, I mean, were people like, wait a second. Oh, wait, this isn't this isn't exactly what she's doing because doing a panel for a few minutes is much different than doing a 45-minute or 55-minute or hour or however long you do stand-up set. What, did you have to adapt to that or did you have to work with your Chelsea persona a little bit? You know, it's interesting. It's a great question because it was tricky at first because you knew that people were coming because they watched the show. And I never in my act have ever been a person that talks about, like, celebrity gossip or what's in the news or any of that. Um, I tell more, like, personal stories and stuff because, to me, that's, that's just how I work. And I think that's, from, for, for me to audiences, that's the most relatable thing. But it, it was tricky at first because you would feel like, you know, that maybe people would want you to talk about Chelsea or Chewy or whatever. So you just had to really um, be confident in your, in your stand-up. I'll say that. And it probably really built my confidence because um, more because when I would just buckle down and just do, and, you know, and, and, and I interact with the audience a lot. And, um, you know, and we, listen, we have a lot of... <laughs> Uh, drunk girls coming to see shows at the at the height of it, you know. <laughs> girls are like, "Where's Chelsea? Or we could be friends. Tell her I said hi." <laughs> and you just have to uh, appreciate that they're coming to see you and they're paying to see you, and that they know you from that show, and that it's awesome. And try not to let it get too far in your head, because then what I really found for all of us was we stick to doing what we did on stage, and not just doing, you know anything from the show. I mean, Chelsea didn't even do stuff from the show when she did stand-up. So it was like, I think what really helped that was that it built our fan bases, almost um, people got their own fan bases out of it too. You know, they were still obviously fans of Chelsea, but then they became fans of mine. And, and you know, and there's still people come to my shows and buy my books, all, you know, because that's the first place they saw me. So you certainly gained fans by doing your own thing. Um, on stage and, and, and not making it seem like they were just seeing the same thing they saw on TV, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, when you started doing the headlining, I mean, before that, as you said, you weren't really headlining a lot. So with the Chelsea, I mean, was it those some of those headlining gigs, were they hard for you? Because, you know, one thing about headlining, you know, it's always when they put drop the checks. And there's so many stuff that they can't teach you. You know, they don't, you know, as you said, drunk girls. Were Was it hard to start to be consistently headlining and were you prepared for it? Did you feel you had the 45? I know headliners now do an hour, but how was that process for you? I definitely felt like I had it and I, and I did. Um, I built it up over all those years and, and, and was it tricky to, to put it all together and make sure I could do it well? You know, the first several handful of times, sure, you know, and I think in that sense, also, when we were all opening for her, she would let us do, like, 35, 40 minutes um, because it was just us and her. So to give a, an audience a, a decent amount of time show, if she's only do, if she's doing an hour, then sometimes we'd be like, well, shit, go on as long as... Oh, sorry, can I say that? But she'd be like, let, go on as long as you want. So that also helped, too, because you got a little more experience doing it that way. But 
um, the things that you can't prepare for, sure, like the, the hecklers and, and, or not the hecklers, I don't, I don't really have hecklers, but the, when they drop the check and people start chatting, or when there's someone drunk that doesn't, they're not trying to be mean, they're not trying to heckle you in, in, in the sense of like, you suck, or whatever the old, you know, but they're just, they think they're just talking to you, and you're like, there's a full-on show happening, and you're just talking. Um, that kind of stuff you can't prepare for. I think, fortunately, I knew enough comics by then that I'd heard enough stories, and I felt like I was slightly prepared, but I don't think there's anything. I think it's all trial and error by, at that point to get you really used to it, and, you know, your first few times in clubs, and you're just like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is how it goes, or now I know second show Friday night is going to be a little bit rowdier than every other show and um, you know those those certain things that you pick up that you maybe hear through chatter but I don't think until you're in that situation do you really um, I don't think there's a way to prepare for it. Now as a comic when you were performing in the the, you said you opened for Chelsea in some bigger venues like what were some of the bigger venues and how does that because how does that affect your timing because the bigger the audience the longer the laugh you don't want to step on that you don't want to step on that laugh, but then you don't want to bring that laugh all the way down in case it doesn't work. What was what were some of the bigger places you played with her? Well, there's a few. Like the biggest one I did, I did Radio City with her, which was the first time that I opened for her. And um, and by then, actually, I did correct my timeline here because I did. I was already headlining by then, but you also um, like I'd done some clubs, you know, getting booked on the road and stuff because of the show, but. Um, yeah, the Radio City was, a, between it being Radio City itself and um, and, and just the, the specialness that goes along with that, um, I was pretty nervous, and I was like, oh, can I handle, I think, you know, that's probably like 6,000 or something, I forget, but it was, it was a little terrifying, but I had so much fun. The biggest one I ever did for her was called The Mohegan Sun, and that was a New Year's Eve show, and that's like 20,000 people. <laughs> it was um, terrifying. But you realize in that sense that you're right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no way to help that there's going to be some extra chatter and some this and some that. But um, you are, I don't know. It's like, they, it's still no matter what, people are there to see a show, you know? And I think that helps. Like, they, they know people are there to see stand-up and no matter what obviously in a route in a, in a in a crowd of, of a few thousand people maybe it's ten thousand i shouldn't say twenty maybe it's ten thousand so there's a big difference between ten and twenty thousand but there's still there's a lot more people than i was used to yeah no because i always just think for, for the timing and the clapping because you get an applause break with ten thousand people you know you get an applause break from 200 people at a club it's a nice, you know, 40-second thing. You get an applause break from 10,000 people. You're looking at three, oh, yeah. three minutes, and you're going, holy crap, i got to do my act here. You know, I, yeah. you can't keep... I, I yeah, love, I I love like, the adoration, what? but I want, I want to do some bits. Yeah, for sure. I think once it gets uh, into the into a few thousand, then it's almost all the same. But, when, you know, I mean, I don't know what it's like to do hundreds of thousands like some people do. But, um, yeah, you definitely have to just be... A good listener and know you know when you can keep going and when to hold and and let that applause go i mean heck <laughs> that's you know you're not going to hear that all the time so um it definitely takes some adjustment though so you're, you're headlining clubs you're opening for chelsea you're on the show when did the book deals happen and when did you what made you decide to write your first book and were you surprised how well it did just because it i believe it debuted at number five 
But I mean, yeah. how how did the whole book thing come? And were you ready to write a book? And, and as a comic, you know, how do you you know write? I mean, how did that all happen? Did they approach you? Or I know because there was a time you know Jim Norton wrote a book and Chelsea and Chelsea's books are very funny and they're writing books and different people are writing books. How did your book deal come about? It was something that you went after or is it something that someone approached you and it was something that you felt comfortable doing? Well, I had always wanted to, like, as someone that really loves to write, I wanted to write a book, but there was, I didn't know how to approach it and even though uh, Chelsea was doing it and all this, I didn't, it didn't automatically make me think like, oh, I can write a book or whatever. I was, I was, but I had ideas and I also had this thing in my mind of like, well, who am I? Like, why does someone want to read a book by me? But I'm a big reader, so I, I, I'm glad that people don't feel that way because, of course, people want to read books, you know? Like, maybe not so much as they used to, but, um, you know, it's not about, it's not an ego, to let your ego get out of the way and not feel like, well, oh, God, what if, you know, nobody wants, nobody's ever heard of me, so it's not like I can write this book, but it's if it's sold correctly and, and marketed correctly and people get a hold of it, they're like, oh, this is stuff I can relate to, or this is a fun read, or if it's, you know, uh, fiction, then it's, oh, I love this story, whatever it is. But what happened was a um, book agent reached out to me that he used to watch the show, and he was like, you know, I just find your personality to be X, Y, and Z, and I think that it would be great if you wanted to write a book. And I wasn't quite sure. I mean, I Googled to make sure he was like a real person and (laughs) (laughs) legitimate, and he had a pretty impressive little list of people, and I just thought, let me just see, you know, why why not just try it? Like, this is the time to sort of capitalize on on things starting to click and trying to get your own stuff going as well. And so um, I I ended up writing a proposal and all the different uh, things that we had to do, and we ended up selling it. That was the first one to Random House, and I was very excited, certainly surprised at how well it did. I was not expecting to be number five on the list like that. It was really, um, like, a shock and also just, I mean, it was overwhelming. It was really probably the best, uh, certainly the highlight um, of, or at least a big highlight in, in my in my career, and, and definitely a bad day. <laughs> um, so it was very exciting for it to do that well. And then the reason I obviously did it the second one was because it did well, and because I also felt like, um, and I'm very proud of my first book, but I even think the second one's like a lot better because I learned more, you know, about the writing and my own style of writing and. Um, and how to sort of make sure the stories, you know, fell together correctly and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Someone actually came to me, which I don't think happens enough, well, <laughs> that's for sure. It doesn't. Now, now, did you do a book tour with that, or did you do a, I mean, or did you do like the, you know, go to the bookstores, or did you just try to promote it? I did, I did a book tour. I, I mostly did them at clubs. Um and then I would do in New York. I did a couple signings when it came out, um, but I also found that that was almost dividing your audience because you're selling and signing them after your shows. So for the most part, people would rather go to your show and see you there, and then they get to see an hour of stand up, and then see you afterwards, and um, you do a meet and greet and sign the books and stuff. And I did that with both books, and it was definitely one of my favorite things. It's it's uh, a lot of fun. You meet a lot of people, and you get feedback from your book and some people have already read it or people are just getting it for the first time or whichever it is but um it was it was a lot of fun to do a book tour with it now did you find any people that you met through your book tour or that bought books at your shows really didn't know you from chelsea 
and they knew you from some other venue, from your stand-up? I mean, how did that break down? More so now, yeah. And and on my second book, for sure, that after I sort of built my own audience and um, and got, you know, you, at first, it, yeah, the first one was definitely more like, oh, people that knew me from the show, because that's where I got the most, um, you know, visual, rec- you know, obviously recognition or whatever. So it was uh, certainly on the first book, it was that. And then from that tour, and I think, and then from continuing to do stand-up and the headline, because not every single person that walks into a comedy club is always there to see you know, the headliner specifically, they just are going to a comedy show that night. So you build your fan base in those, you know, doing a three or four nights in a club. Um, you also build your fan base that way because they come in and then they leave fan- as fans. And so, um, and then from my book getting passed around, you know, from people who didn't know me and seeing it on the bestseller list and seeing it in the stores and stuff, then you get to start building a little bit more outside of just from that the show and so with my second book it was definitely like a little more probably half and half you know where people knew from the show but then they also other people didn't they just knew you as either an author or a comedian or um you know whatever whatever else it was so now as you're doing this you have so much going on you know you you're now you're branching off you're hitting the road you're you know you're writing books now I know, and you you started. Did you ever stop acting? Then started it because I saw. I was looking. I remember I saw you on. Uh, my girlfriend always watched that show Battle Creek. I know you were on there, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's a comedian." Oh, yeah. I, I said, "I was trying to get her on my show." And uh, did, when did you start getting back into the acting, or were you, had you always pursued the acting while you were doing your stand up? Because being on the road, it must be very hard. Writing a book, it must be very hard because you just can't sit there and write a book and go, hey, I'm going to yeah. audition. When did you start per, um, pursuing your acting? Are you still pursuing that or are you just really concentrating on stand-up right now? No, I'm still pursuing it. It's just, it's a tough world no matter what. It doesn't matter how much you've done or, or, or whatever. So, you know, um, and I think it's even tougher for comics because people don't always quite put together that you can also act. That's why something like Battle Creek was great for me because people saw, you know, me do a serious role um and uh and but when we were when i was on chelsea since i was a full-time writer then that's what put a halt to me doing any auditioning or anything because we were there full-time so you couldn't really have um you know the best of both worlds there it's not like you could be like see you later i gotta go take and do an audition instead of write the show today so that was um but obviously gratefully was was doing that there so it was always a little tricky for everyone because i'm as a writer on the show, you were seeing a lot of people from the show getting more recognition and then getting like get more guest spots and stuff on sitcoms or getting their own shows and stuff like that. And then if you're a writer, then you weren't getting those same opportunities because you were on the show. You know, you were, you couldn't take those meetings and you couldn't, you know. So it was actually, um, it was actually a co- after a few years of that that I ended up because I sold my. Um, first book as a, as a sitcom to NBC um, and it was it didn't end up getting made obviously but um, you know got obviously I got a development deal and and, and the script deal and um, it was sort of after that that I realized like and it wasn't in the sense of oh I'm too big for this it was okay well where are your priorities like are you if you stay here then I mean I knew the show wasn't gonna last forever um, and probably not that much longer. So about a year, actually, before it went off the air, I quit as a writer so that I could do other things. And um, the best part was, you know, they 
got that. They understood that stuff. And Chelsea understood that. I should say Chelsea understood that stuff. So I was still on the round table every other week and or once a month, whatever the rotation was. Um, I don't even think people knew that I wasn't there as a writer anymore because I was just there still, you know, and, um, and that freed up my time to be able to write a second book. And because I did learn on this, on the first book that I, I don't, I don't even know how I got that done having a full-time job. And, um, so when I was going to do a second one, I thought, okay, well, this has got to be two separate things. Like, you know, you can't, you, you know, you almost can't have your cake and eat it too. You got to sort of make a jump and decide you're either going to try to do something other than this show or you're going to, um, to stay here and then and then pursue after and I just I didn't want to not have I didn't want the show to end and then me not have anything going you know right. um, so luckily you know that ended up working out with everyone being friendly about it and all that good stuff did you find it a little hard when you went into auditions for a drama part because basically you know people knew you and they knew you as a comic and you know and I know you know as you said you know sometimes I don't think comics can act but did, did you when you went in for a drama did they sit there and the casting directors probably knew you right off the bat and probably would think oh oh she's a comedian and did you think that you had to work harder because of that um, you know luckily that didn't really enter my head it enters my head more now as the sense of why I may not get the, the opportunities that I would want in those situations but the times that I have, it doesn't occur to me. I just think like, okay, they called me in, so they must be interested. And then I don't really think about it that way. But there is certainly the sort of, you know, difficulty of, of getting people to understand like, hey, let me, you know, um, for a while too, it was just even getting people to know that you were available because you weren't available when you were on the show. You were, you know, you were, you were under contract to write for the show and not to go off and just do whatever, you know. Now, your, your, your Hulu special, when did you record that? And what made you decide to finally sit down and record a special? Um, I just finally, my manager and I just finally put it together, and I'd wanted to do one for a while, but, um, again, wasn't quite sure of the freedom to or the recognition to or anything like that. So when I was, um, again, when I, once I left the show and was able to, to focus on it and do some more road work, because also when you're on the show, it's like, yeah, you could go on the road, but you, you know, you need to keep it to a minimum because if they want to do there on a Friday, well, you're supposed to work on a Friday, so they couldn't have every single writer out headlining a club on Friday and then have no staff. So um, it was just like a balance thing, I think. So once I was able to do it more and be on my own and and um, and prepare for it, then I was then I was ready to do it. So um, we shot that in Burbank actually, and it was super fun. So. Um, and now I'm, it's so funny because you record it and then it comes out, you know, months later and you have different material and you're like, well, wait, now that material feels old, but then you have to remember it's not old to the people watching it. Right. <laughs> so, um, so I'm excited to maybe get working on another one I'm, I'm working on it, but I haven't like perfected what I would want to do for it. So where'd you record it in Burbank? Um, at the, oh shoot. The Colony Theater? No, what's the Burbank Theater? Why can't I think of it? Um, hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it right now. There's the Colony Theater. Really there's there's the Alex Theater in Glendale, and and there's the Col yeah, no. the Colony Theater, the the Falcon Theater. No, I live in Burbank. Live Where's the Colony? The Colony's uh, right on um, right near the mall. 
It's it's uh it's been around for a long time. Mm-mm. I'll look it's it up. Not... We'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. But now, I mean, you think I would know? Yeah, but yeah, so you have so much going on now. Now, how is your schedule now? How often are you on the road? And do, does the road get a little tiring to you? Because it can do that, even though you know you're headlining. The, the road can be a little monotonous. How do you how do you schedule your road gigs? How often do you go out? Um, you know, I. I would do it a lot, and then, um, you know, in the beginning, and especially, I think last year after my second book came out and I did a tour with that every weekend for months and months, I got a little where I was like, okay, well, and then you'd be out on the road, and then you'd finally get auditions, and you'd be like, well, how am I going to do both of these things? So I I sort of scaled it back a little bit, um, also after uh, getting married, because I don't know that being gone, I, I mean, he goes on the road with me in the off season, and that's great because then we're just and it's super fun it's like not something i never thought i would like before is having somebody around (laughs) on the road but it actually brings sort of a new life to it because he loves it so it's super fun um but i try to basically take it more like instead of just forcing myself to go on the road every weekend and being like well to do a couple times a month and then um but you know you're still gone for you know three or four days for that and then try and stay in town and, and work on other things too so it's just sort of figuring out the balance of that. I'm, and it, it, I get like I was definitely a little burned down on it after my first my my last book tour because it was just last year and it was like six months straight of every weekend and I was just like, all right, I just want to be at home for <laughs> a week or something, and um and you just have to refresh. But then when you don't do it for a month or something, all of a sudden you're like, get me out on the road. What's happening? This is right. awful. So <laughs> you know because you love doing it. So I just think you have to um, find a balance of not burning yourself out on it is, is probably the best way to do. And I think only each person knows that themselves. You know, some people are like, if you don't get out this amount of time a week, even if you're on the road and you're not doing, you know, and everyone has their own thing. But I just think it's so personal how you work and how and what works best for you to keep you, um, you know, loving it. How did you meet your husband? And are you the only comedian, uh, football player, married couple in the history of Football and comedy, I'm wondering. I feel like we are. I think we are, mate. That can be some sort of, uh, you know, history book thing. That would be great. Um, we met, actually, he used to watch the show. He used to watch Chelsea Lately. And he um, claims still and, and has never changed his story that he just knew that we would be good together. And he um, approached another fellow comedian, Ross Matthews, who used to be on the show and is a big Seahawks fan. He approached him at um, the national championship game three years ago and said, can you introduce me to Sarah Colonna? And then Ross ended up basically like introducing us to each other on Twitter. It's a really ridiculous story. And I thought, you know, gross, some athlete trying to hit on me on Twitter or whatever. But um, I thought he, but then a, a couple things from him were funny and sort of endearing. And I thought, well, maybe he's, he'll be fun to talk to. I was single and I was not really interested in, in anything else, so I just thought, well, it'll be fun to talk to, who cares, and the more I talked to him, um, the more I just realized, wait, this guy's great, you <laughs> know, um, we didn't even meet for a couple of months, it was actually the year they won the Super Bowl, that we had just started talking, and um, he won the Super Bowl, and I remember afterwards, he was texting me all night, and I thought, okay, if this, right. <laughs> there's never one opportunity <laughs> to, like, be disgusting, this guy could be out doing whatever he wanted, and he's writing me all night from New York, you know, and he's just 
contacting me constantly. There's no way he's doing that. So, and we weren't, we hadn't even met yet or been, you know, certainly weren't exclusive. So it, then it was the next month he came to LA and, and took me out and, um, we've been together ever since. That's awesome. We got married in July. Yeah. That's so cool. And I, I hope they do well. Cause as I said, you know, I mean, I hate the Cowboys and, and, you know, I'm an Eagles fan and, you know, but the Seahawks are another bird, you know, and you got to go for the bird, you know, the Eagles and the Seahawks because, you know, mm-hmm. and I went to a college near the ocean and our uh, mascot was an Osprey, which is sort of a Seahawk. So, you know, I, I could go for it's the Seahawks. Enough. Yeah, and, 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 and the Seahawks <laughs> fans, they seem cool. They seem dedicated and, and, and I like them. Um, so we don't have a few minutes left. What's coming up for you in the near future? Yeah, well, I um, am, well, tour dates-wise, just go to my website. I'm doing a show in Portland for Valentine's Day at this place called the Newmark Theater, where I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and because it's in the Pacific Northwest, we're tying that together with my marriage, actually, and doing this Q&A with myself and, and John afterwards to do, like, a Valentine's theme after the show, which I think is going to be really fun. Um, and uh, And then other dates will be up on the website and then um, I am I just am working on a book for someone else for the first time which is interesting I'm working with Demi Lovato on her memoir so that I don't know actually when it comes out we haven't we're still um, finishing edits and stuff on it but it's been an interesting thing to do a book for someone else Um, and then I'm working on some stuff with lifetime.com and the first thing should be out by early next week so um, I'm having fun with that because it's a totally different atmosphere and different, you know, audience for sure, and uh, which is great because you always want to build, you know, more and more audience and to do different things. So we'll see how that goes. Well, that's awesome. And now, now your Twitter is at Sarah Colonna, and people, that's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-L-O-N-N-A, and I know you tweet a lot. So that's good. So people, I do. So yeah, that's good. That's all yeah. that we want. We want people to be. So people, please follow her. Follow her on Twitter. Go to her website, thesamename.com. It's a very cool website. Check that out. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have over 580 episodes. I just posted the um, Flock of Seagulls lead singer, uh, Mike Score. So check that one out. And you can email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Words with friends and Instagram. It's Cooper Talk One. I'll play it if you request me. You may beat my ass. I'm here or there. I go on my streaks. And Instagram is most promoting my show. And it's pictures of food because, as you guys know, when I had my uh, heart condition a few years ago, I had to restructure my lifestyle. So my book is out. Stop the salt. You can go to stopthesalt.com. It's 120 low sodium recipes. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of ingredients. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com, but if you go to stopthesalt.com, I make more money. So buy it from there. And no one's buying it. They're buying it from Amazon. They're not buying it from me, but I want to make the money. So keep listening to the show. Follow Sarah Colonna. Check out her stand-up. YouTube that stuff. Go to Hulu. Watch her special. Buy her album. Buy her books. Do all that stuff. Root for the Seahawks. Uh, I'll be back next week. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.